Good morning and welcome to the second episode of Crownsman Energy. Today we are joined by Richard Masson. He is the chairman of the World Petroleum Council of Canada. He is also the chief commercial officer of Fractal Systems. Before we get on with the interview, let's thank our sponsors. We are sponsored by PowerZone. When you need a specialized team of world-class engineers for your oil and gas pipelines, dewatering, or any fluid handling needs, you want to visit PowerZone.com. In addition to their inventory of rebuilt pumps, motors, engines, they also have an amazing team to design and engineer your systems, no matter the challenge, no matter the location. Get in the zone with PowerZone, and you can visit them at PowerZone.com. We're also sponsored by Lampson. Lampson International is a third-generation family-owned and operated heavy lift and heavy haul construction company with branch offices located throughout North America, Canada, and Australia. Lampson International offers conventional crane rental, heavy transportation, project engineering, and customized rigging, steel, and timber mat rental, as well as marine and manufacturing services. They were founded in 1946 by Neil and Billy Jane Lampson. The company is in their 73rd year of doing business, and you can find out more at lampsoncrane.com. Now let's get on with episode two of Crownsman Energy. Hello, I am Jared Downey, and welcome to Crownsman Energy. It is a spinoff of the Crownsman Show. The difference is we discuss all things energy, and I can't think of a more fitting guest to kick off our first few shows. We have Richard Masson on the show. Now, Richard, I'm going to read this to make sure I get it right. Um, he is the chairman of the World Petroleum Council in Canada. He's also the chief commercial officer of Fractal Systems. So we've got a lot to cover um, from a couple from both the private sector and from the World Petroleum Council side. So thanks, Richard, for coming on the show. We're, we're very excited to have you as one of our first guests in Crownsman Energy. Great to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, and I know you do a bit of media um, be, because of your, your involvement with the University of Calgary and that, but um, have, you, have you done a lot of the, the podcast web series world? Yet. This is maybe number two or three, so it seems like there's more demand coming all the time. Uh, you know, yeah. people want to get deeper into issues, so I appreciate the opportunity to really you know, talk about these things and, and let people understand them better. Yeah, it's kind of nice because in this format, we can, we, we can take that extra time. You know, it's not like a commercial's coming up in 30 seconds and we need to get on to the next. So it's sort of a nice format, especially, especially during these times. It's, it's, we're things are complex, um, to say the least. That's so right. I, I want to talk, we're going to, we're going to kind of go, I want to start with the World Petroleum Council, uh, just a quick sort of snapshot of them. And then I want to get into more of the details of fractal system. And then I want to circle back to the World Petroleum Council. But um, they've had to do some adjustments, I think, because they've, your chairman in Canada, but in Houston, they've had to make some adjustments. I think you said there was just announced this morning, right? Right. So the, the World Petroleum Council is an international organization of more than 60 member countries. It's been around for a long time. And its primary focus is improving performance of the petroleum industry. So they do that through a lot of different activities across the year. And every three years, they hold what's called the World Petroleum Congress, which is the premier oil and gas petroleum congress in the world. And it's scheduled for December this year in Houston, is the, is the next one. And this morning we learned that due to all the uh, restrictions that are in place, Houston has pushed back its date for that Congress 
until 2021. So that's a, a pretty big change. It hasn't happened very often uh, because these things no. run in three-year cycles, but uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that as we go and what it means for Canada. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. It's it's we've got a whole section because I do want to to cover quite a bit about the World Petroleum Council and and what they're doing and what they're offering, and how it actually all works from the. It's it's sort of similar to the Olympics, going from city to city. Um, but I want to get into first into fractal systems, um, and so often on this show. Uh, I'm, I'm interviewing people that know so much more about a topic, which is why we do the interview and I don't sit there and spiel about something I don't know about. So uh, fractal systems, um, they have, they have a new, uh, jet shear technology that they're they They brought onto the market. Can you give us, uh, tell us who fractal systems in your involvement. And then I want to get into some of the technology, um, that they have. Sure. I can do that. So Fractal Systems was founded uh, 14 years ago by a PhD from the University of Sherbrooke, Quebec, and uh, his name was Esteban Chornet. He, he is a you know, very sophisticated fellow. He developed a sister company called Enercam that uh, uh, works on municipal waste. Um, but this was his second idea, um, Fractal Systems. And it's all about um, using uh, technology to reduce the viscosity of bitumen which you know bitumen is thick like peanut butter and if you can reduce mm -hmm. its viscosity it flows down a pipeline much more easily so today when when bitumen is shipped from um, fort mcmurray down the pipelines typically it requires about 30 percent diluent which is a very mm -hmm. very light um, oil kind of like gasoline so you put gasoline type liquid in with the bitumen you end up with something that you can pipeline well that very light oil the diluent is expensive it takes a lot of room in the pipelines that we would prefer to use for bitumen, and it has an environmental footprint. So Fractal's technology is designed to address those challenges, and that's that's really what uh, we're working to commercialize right now. So so that that brings us into so this product Jet Shear um, has come onto the market. I'm sorry, Richard. I'm having some really funky stuff happening with my iPad, and I'm trying to follow. <laughs> I'm trying to follow, but my iPad just wants to do its own thing right now, so I'm going to have to reload here. Um, so JetShare, uh, so JetShare technology. Now, did is that something that was actually developed by Fractal Systems, or is that something that they took on? No, it was developed by Fractal Systems. So it's been a 14-year development cycle. And wow. it started, um, we built a lab in Sherbrooke, Quebec, and did a one barrel per day, um, we call it our bench facility. So, you know, one barrel of bitumen per day. It has all of the uh, units, all the processes that you need to go from uh, diluted bitumen all the way through to a finished product. It allows you then to take that finished product send it to third-party labs and get assays of the quality of the oil because refiners, of course, want to understand what will the oil look like when it comes to them. So that um, technology was built on that lab at a one barrel per day scale. And then like many things, you need to scale up your technology. So we've gone through successive mm -hmm. steps over the years to you know, move to 30 barrel per day, uh, 150 barrel per day, 500 barrel per day, nozzles which is our key key piece of the technology is a nozzle where the 
then I can go through the process flow. But that that's really what it was, was, you know, many steps over 14 years to get to the point where it's now ready for commercial introduction. Yeah, I saw that. It, it, and it, you had a nice timeline. We're actually going to bring it up that you went from, yeah, you talked about the one, the one barrel per day. That was in 2009. And now, now I'm seeing, I want to, now there's the, the field demonstration, the commercial demonstration. And then in, you went to large scale in 2000, uh, in 2018, you actually, so was that actually 50 barrels per day that was processed in well, 2018? We, what we were doing was, was 500 barrels a day. So, so the technology oh. essentially involves um, taking bitumen and, and you separate the um, bitumen from the diluent because that's how it comes down the pipeline to our plant. Um, and you take the bitumen, you heat it up, you pressure it up, and you push it through a nozzle. And, and there's a big pressure drop that happens as it moves through the nozzle. And that allows the, the heavy bitumen molecules to pull apart from some of the other mm -hmm. molecules in the oil. And some of the side chains on, on the big molecules, which are called asphaltines, break off. And all the molecules are, are there. We're not trying to turn anything into coke. In fact, we don't want to turn things to coke. And, and we don't want to uh, precipitate out molecules that we would have to dispose of. All the molecules are there, but they're less sticky. And so they are easier to ship down a pipeline. So, so it's the nozzle technology that's the key thing. And just to go back to where we were in 2018, uh, we have a demonstration facility at Provos and we ran through large volumes of, uh, in over a course of many months. Um, in fact, over, over two one-year periods, we've run 225,000 barrels of under-diluted bitumen through our demonstration facility to prove that it works at that scale. So what were we looking for? Things like, how long do the nozzles last? Do they erode or corrode? Um, you know, how often would we need to replace them? Because we know there's bound to be some loss of pressure drop over time. And so those are the things, operability, safety, all those kind of things that we were demonstrating at that commercial facility in 2018. And so we had uh, good success with all that. We were working with um, Synovus as our producing partner. Um, through that period, and uh, we essentially completed all that commercial demonstration. We've got all the data we need now for the design of a large-scale commercial product project. Well, you know, uh, some of these graphs that I, I watched. Uh, there's a video online, and people should go. Uh, your website is uh, uh, fractal s sys.com will bring it up on the screen too and you can watch a video that that people right on your home page it's quite nice for laying out but could you just give us I, I mean not necessarily the engineer breakdown but just the process flow um, of the jet shear system right so so as I said the nozzles are the key so we separate out the yeah. bitumen from the diluent just to save space downstream in the process the diluent doesn't need to go through any further processing. So we, we take that out at the beginning, which is a simple distillation column. Then we have bitumen. As I said, we heat it up and pressure it up and put it through these nozzles. And uh, the 500 barrel a day nozzle, it's uh, not very big. It's you know, maybe the size of a, size of a bread box or a laptop computer, that type of thing. It's not a big um, nozzle. And so it, it gets the pressure drop and uh, Essentially what happens then is you have all the molecules that are still there and 
over time, as we worked to improve the process, we had to figure out what is the limit of how uh, the process is going to work practically. And if we use a little bit more temperature, a little bit more pressure, those types of things, you can get a higher level of um, reduction in the viscosity. We also, part of the process, it reduces the acidity of the oil. So in bitumen, especially as you move further north, there's an inherent level of acidity. It's measured by something called a total acid number. And if the total acid number is too high, some refineries can't run the bitumen. If you can yeah. reduce the acidity, you get a better value for your product because more refineries can run it. So we, we looked at those things and we said, you know, if we could push our process a little bit further, that would be great. We'd reduce diluent, we reduce acidity more. But then you create a different problem. And so the next problem you create is olefins, which come whenever products crack a little bit, when bitumen cracks. So we've introduced a step that allows us to take the um, layer of, of uh, hydrocarbon where the olefins concentrate and we add some hydrogen to it it's called hydropolishing and essentially that saturates the olefins it's it's a very low temperature low pressure kind of version of, of dealing with hydrogen it's not hydrocracking or hydroprocessing or anything like that it's, it's we call it hydropolishing and all it does by saturating the olefins is it removes that as one of the restrictions on uh, making pipeline quality products so we have to do that step and, and also because you uh, end up with a little bit of H2S anytime you heat up a bitumen because there's a, a, you know, sulfur in, in bitumen inherently. So you have to do a little bit of um, hydrogen or um, sulfur cleanup. So, so those two steps are required to make sure that you meet your environmental performance and your pipeline specifications. So really it's, you go through the nozzles, you get essentially the process that you need two other steps which are ancillary to make sure you meet requirements and then you blend back the amount of diluent you want to make the product that the refineries want to see for most bitumens we can displace about 50 percent of the bitumen requirement and that's a big deal because bitumen is a very expensive part of moving uh dill bit down the pipeline I wanted to. I wanted to ask. Uh, I said it before we we came on that um, if for anybody who's a layman watching this, I'll ask some great questions for them. And so I wanted to get just an understanding. Does this integrate into a system, or does this system need to be built from the ground up? Um, as in, can someone adopt it into theirs, or do you have to come in and actually build the infrastructure for it? That's a great question. Um, there's two ways to look at this. The way we're looking at it right now is we intend to build our first commercial project at a hub, at a pipeline hub. Um, okay. Like Curtisie and Edmonton are places where many pipelines come from the oil sands. There's a lot of tankage, and then there's many pipelines that leave those destinations. So, like, let's take Hardesty as an example. We could build our first project there. Um, we could allow a couple of different producers to bring their product, their bitumen, to us. And then the um, producers would have the option of taking that product and sending it with their existing production down to refineries that they have business with. Or they could blend it into larger streams like, let's say, Western Canadian Select. Western Canadian Select is the benchmark oil um, that's traded at, at, in Alberta. 
And as I said, the total acid number, the um, acidity of the oil grows as you move further north. One of the challenges with, as we have more and more production from the oil sands, especially from the north part of the province, the average acidity of the barrels that we produce in Alberta is going up. And so our process helps reduce that tan number. So it makes a really good blend stock. It could be blended well with things like Western Canadian Select or other bitumens that are available at Hardesty. So from a marketing point of view, we think there's a lot of benefit to being in, at a hub where you have those options as a producer. Where do I want my product to go? And I can change that from time to time, depending on which refiners are, are most after this product. So right. that's, that's where our initial focus has been uh, of late. But to, to go to your question, if you as a producer wanted to bring this um, technology to site, you get an added benefit because then you're moving less diluent from Edmonton up to Fort McMurray where your project is, and you mm -hmm. save more pipeline space coming from Fort McMurray down to one of these pipeline hubs. It saves you money long-term, and you probably already have lots of uh, you know, folks on the ground, you have power, you have um, control rooms, you have fire protection, all those things already for your side D project. So this process can integrate very well at a site. Uh, right now, most producers in Alberta are not trying to spend more money on things like processing. They're very focused on cost cutting. So we think the hub project is probably the first application. I was going to, uh, when you said uh, save pipeline capacity, um, what that could also be interpretive is to increase uh, output as well, right? Because if you save the capacity, is that correct? Well, absolutely. If you go to the big picture, you know, Alberta, Western Canada, we've been pipeline constrained for five years now. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, the challenge we face as, as Canadians is it, building pipelines is very difficult both within Canada, you know, from the Trans Mountain expansion story and across the border. Keystone XL, um, you know, continues to have challenges. Enbridge Line 3 continues to face court cases. And so this, by, by putting partial upgrading within the province, <clears throat> if you can reduce diluent by 50%, maybe up to 60%, then you reduce the overall amount going down the pipelines. And that can result in you getting 20% more bitumen in the same right. export pipeline space. So that's something we can control totally within our province. We don't need anybody else's approval to install this technology in the province. And we can get 20% more bitumen down existing pipelines. Right. Big Very big deal. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, yeah. When we started this, I didn't. I mean, I, I've seen it in the in the mining industry where technology it basically increases capacity, um, which then increases output. Um, and I wanted to. You, you've talked a little bit about the numbers. Are there? You've talked about like it, you if you increase capacity by twenty percent, obviously that's huge. Um, but are there any sort of numbers like in a dollar amount? Someone listening to this. Um, or is, is it, or is that too complex because you get so many capacities are so different for every different uh, producer? You know, it, you referenced our, our corporate deck um, and some of the stuff on our website, but we do have numbers behind all this. So if, if you, um, we had IHS uh, market, which is a, you know, very reputable global firm, look at right, yeah. technology and put it in context of their long-term uh, price forecasts. 
and the um, you save you save a lot of cost. So you save diluent, as I said, 50 to potentially 60% diluent. That's a big saving. You save pipeline space. So you can get 20% more bitumen down the pipeline, uh, and and essentially you get free pipeline space by doing that, which is very valuable right now. Um, the, the product quality gets improved because the acidity goes down and, and the acidity discounts can be two or $3 a barrel, depending on how far North you are. So yeah. That I was going to ask, that's quite, well, it can be quite substantial, right? right? That, yeah. That discount on uh, uh, the, I, what, I guess, what's the correct terminology? High acidic. Is that? Yeah. High, high, high acidity. And so, you know, IHS, forecast that, uh, you know, if I can recall the numbers, it's like $9.50 to $14 a barrel total savings available from implementing this technology. Now, from there, you'd have to pay for your toll to get your bitumen processed. So there's, right. you know, that cost is, is got to be netted off. But the, the margin uptick that's available, the, the increase in the size of the pie is very significant. And Alberta has, you know, typically been short diluent. When you think about, it's kind of surprising. Right now we have two pipelines that move diluent from Chicago all the way to Alberta. And they're bringing in 300,000 barrels a day or so of diluent, just so we can put it back in the pipeline to ship our bitumen back down to Chicago and the US Gulf Coast. So it's expensive. It has a big environmental footprint too. I mean, I should point that out. By yeah, I wanted to touch on that. Yeah. yeah by cutting the, the diluent by 50%, um, we've had third parties verify that we could save about 11% on a wells to tank basis. So that means, you know, if 80% if of the CO2 comes from burning the um, fuel that you get from processing this, the gasoline, diesel, and jet, so 80% comes from burning that. So that happens with all oil products. So we kind of ignore mm -hmm. that typically. We say wells to tank, how efficient is your process? And, and for oil sands, they tend to be, you know, bitumen is a little bit higher on average, not much anymore than other crudes. But this reduces that wells to tank part by 11%. And that's important because it can help drive down um, overall greenhouse gas intensity. And you know, companies like CNRL and Synovus have very um, clear goals to try to get to net zero um, in the near future. So these kinds of technologies that we're talking about can make an important contribution to moving the overall greenhouse gas footprint of the oil sands down very near term because we're ready to go commercial now. Right. You've got a, a fair amount of support even at the federal level uh, for this project and this product. Uh, could you break down, I, I saw on one of the slides, again, we'll bring it up here, uh, the hub project. Could, could you break down a little bit of, of that support and the, uh, there's, I, I see the ERA is involved, SDTC. Can you just break those down and the support that they've provided? Yeah, perfect. So we, if we go back to that um, commercial demonstration project, so we had applied um, probably three years, four years ago now for some support with the federal government to look at the greenhouse gas benefits of this and Sustainable Development Technology Canada came in and gave us a grant of $2.7 million. Um, part of that was extensive reporting and third party verification of the numbers to make sure that it all 
hung together. So we had a third party do the study and then another third party audited that study to make sure it was all kosher. Um, so the, the net of that was, yes, in fact, we can save about 11% greenhouse gases on a wealth to tank basis. Uh, about probably 18 months ago, time flies. Um, yeah, SDPC, especially now. Yeah, SDPC said to us, you know, we're, we're um, in on your technology. We think it can make a big difference to the overall greenhouse gas footprint for Canada. And, and we see the benefits in terms of pipelines and things. Um, would you be interested in applying for an off-cycle grant? And we were, and we did, and we got support for the hub project. And the way the hub project um, is, is configured in our, in our plans, we're looking to build a 50,000 barrels per day of bitumen stock project. Um, it will cost ballpark, let's say $500 million. So the metric we use is, you know, $10,000 per barrel per day capacity, which is dramatically lower than most upgrading technologies. For example, mm -hmm. the Northwest uh, refinery, Northwest upgrader, sometimes it's called, that is just being started up in uh, Edmonton, uh, much, much more complex machine, but it uh, was $190,000 per barrel per day versus our $10,000 per barrel per day. We're not trying to do nearly what it's doing. We're trying to do as little as possible to save costs to allow more oil to get down the pipeline. But anyways, right. so, so with a, a relatively simple, small project in the scheme of that, but we said, okay, $500 million is the, is the kind of ballpark for this technology for the first commercial application. It was about $22 million to get to uh, an investment decision and SDTC and their partner, Emissions Reduction Alberta, ERA, said they would step up between them for about $12 million of that $22 million budget to do this front-end engineering work and regulatory work. So that was, that was very encouraging. I mean, you can imagine the risk of bringing a new technology from you know, your commercial field demonstration level to large-scale commercial application. Um, probably in mining, they, they would have the same words. And in the, in the oil sands business, we call this the valley of death because it is super challenging to move from your, your commercial demonstration to the, to the large-scale commercial. Um, lots of risks are involved. Not many technologies make it. And, and so no. support of the government at the front end is, is very meaningful in helping to de-risk this next step. Yeah. Yeah, it's really and I, I think I think it's actually going to be important. You know, it's just always a still always a little side thing of this show is of course entrepreneurs watch this show and just to see what it actually takes to take something you know, I, I think you see a lot of things online about changing industries and the game changers, but I think that episode of you coming on here and walking through this, it shows what it actually takes both time-wise and dollar-wise and, and having collaborative partners and testing. And it's just unbelievable. You said it's, it's been nine years, right? Well, 14 since the technology was 14, first. right. Yeah, and, and, you know, we've been working with Sonovas for a long time. They've been incredibly supportive. And, and you know, we, we've been working with the government partners as well now for some, some years. And all of that matters, right? It, it's, it's not easy to do this. Um, we would love oh. to be able to go quicker. 
but you know you've got to work on each company or each government's timeline to make sure that you do do things properly and we've always been prepared to take the time it needs to go through the process i think it's a good time to you know to to then switch into because an industry that needs support and obviously there's a lot of organizations that are in place to support the energy industry um and and one of the major players is the world petroleum council um, we touched on it uh, at the beginning of the show, but I just want to go through it actually just quickly again to, to sort of what is there, what is, and you're the chairman, um, how long have you been in that role? Well, I've been in the chairman's role only a few months, um, oh. but I've been on the board, I was the vice chair. For <laughs> what timing, hey? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and it, it's partly because of all, all, all that we have going on. So I'll give you a little bit of history because it's, it's really quite an interesting story. Um, Canada uh, has been a member since the 50s of this organization. And, and the organization, as I said, is all about improving the performance of the, of the petroleum industry at every dimension, from you know, getting it out of the ground, uh, processing it, midstream, transporting it, refining it, um, all of the uh, environmental, social governance issues, um, you know, gender um, parity issues, uh, all, all these things are part of what the World Petroleum Council focuses on. And so Canada has been an active member uh, for a long time. We've, we've got a great resource base and a lot of companies in our, in our country. Um, we hosted in 2000 uh, the World Petroleum Congress in Calgary. And it was a very, very successful Congress, uh, brought together leaders from all over the world. And, and as I said, this is a premier, premier Congress. What happens is uh, we'll get, I'll give you the metrics that Houston is expecting because, because it's grown so much since Calgary had mm -hmm. it. But um, 700 speakers come over the course of four days. Whoa. CEOs, from, CEOs from all the major companies will tend to be there. So the Exxons, Shells, um, BPs, um, but not just Western oil companies, all the um, government-owned oil companies, um, so Saudi Aramco, Qatar Gas, uh, you know, the Russian companies, those, all those companies come, and ministers of energy uh, from many countries come as well, and there'll be specialized ministerial sessions where uh, you get to hear directly from a minister speaking about what are the opportunities in that individual country. So it's a great technical program. There's 23 actual individual technical streams over the, over the course of a week, but it's a great uh, high-level business business development networking program as well. And so that that's what Calgary did in the year 2000. We hosted it. We were successful. Um, and now Houston won the right to, to do it in 2020, but Calgary was successful and won the right to host the Congress again in 2023. And as we started to put the changes in place, I ended up becoming the chairman of, of uh, the Canadian chapter because the fellow, Denny Panchot, who's our previous chairman, has become our first um, kind of leading employee. He's our president and CEO because we need to uh, up our organization to start being ready for the 2023 Congress. That's a huge undertaking. It is. And, and, you know, the, there'll be, for Calgary, probably 5,000 delegates will come. 
a thousand media from around the world. Um, the, the trade show element of it um, will take all the space that's available at the Stampede grounds. Um, we'll probably put up extra tents and have things outdoors as well, just because there's so much um, demand for space. And, and when I talk about a trade show, it kind of underestimates the, the Congress's um, impact. So big companies will bring booths that, you know, two-story booths cost more than a million dollars to build, fit for purpose to use for this four-day period. They, right. they, bring, they bring it all. When they come to this, Absolutely crazy. It's, it's a top, top-end show designed for high-level executives. And so it's a really, you know, it's going to take all kinds of organizational skill to pull it off. And, you know, we are primarily a group of volunteers. Um, and so we need to develop a, a team. Uh, we need to raise the money. And we need to make sure that we build the relationships around the world with everybody who's going to be participating in 2023 in Calgary. It, it is open to the, like you could buy tickets to attend this as well, right? Uh, like the trade shows and can you, can you attend the talks and everything? Can, absolutely. To, 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 when the time comes, you know, we will absolutely be inviting um, people from around the world to come. You know, we've already uh, blocked off most of the available hotel space in downtown Calgary and other parts of the city because it's, you know, more than downtown Calgary can handle. So we've reserved the rooms to make sure the rates are attractive to allow people to come from around the world. And we're gonna welcome the world to Calgary, to Canada, to show off what we're doing and to have a dialogue with, with the world about what the future holds for our industry and, and for you know, a big part of, of our whole greenhouse gas debates in the world depends on the performance of the petroleum industry. And, and that's yes. yeah. a huge role. You know, I, I have to, you, you sent me some of the images, so I have to touch on it because really what you're doing, and I, I thought it was so neat because it is, it's like the Olympics. There's a, there's a performance at, at the end of the Houston show that's going to then uh, to, to kind of hand the torch over. Uh, could you just talk about some of the, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at some of these pictures, um, just the, the setup at the Houston show itself is going to be pretty spectacular for the, for the Canada Pavilion. Absolutely. So the, the George Brown Congress Center in Houston is an amazing facility. We got to go down in December. Um, our executive went down to be part of the integrated meetings that Houston was having as part of its planning, and they're being super supportive, helping us learn from them. But that um, convention center that they have has a hotel on each side um, and a big, essentially, green area in between it all. And so they're going to be using all of that. And, and you can imagine, I don't know how many I'm going to guess it's 500 yards long and four stories tall. It's an amazing facility. They will have several hundred exhibitors in their booths. Um, and, and what happens is, uh, in, the, in their case, they, they have a second floor where all, the, um, all those technical sessions that I talked about will be taking place. And the, on the main floor is where the Congress um, exhibition will happen, where all the booths will be. And so one of our tasks is the Canadian delegation right now is to bring a Canada booth into Houston to make sure that everybody understands both what's going on in Canada in terms of technology development, um, in terms of resource opportunities, government policy, ESG policy. So we want to explain to the world in Houston all the things that Canada is doing. But most importantly, we want to invite them to come to Calgary in 2023. 
So we've been working with a company that designs these booths, GES, and put together a concept of what a Canada booth could look like. And our next task is to work with governments and companies to finalize that design and, and essentially book them into the booth space so that we can go down in an ideal world, let's say we might have 12 or 14 um, companies and government agencies there to participate. And it's a very high traffic uh, area where you get you know, probably more business development done in four days than you'll, than you'll do any other time over a three-year cycle. Right, it's yeah. Because of the nature of the people who are going through uh, the Congress all the time. It's absolutely an amazing undertaking. I mean, I've done, I've helped organize uh, 20 person volunteer things. Um, and I know the work just that takes. I mean, it, do you, I'm putting you on the spot because you, you can't say, no, I hate doing it. I realize that. But do, do you enjoy it? I mean, is it, is it exciting? I mean, you're talking three years of, of planning and networking. Well, no, more than three years because you're going down to Houston. You got to prepare for that. Yeah. I mean, it's just absolutely huge. And you have a job too. <laughs> so, um, well, I mean, do you, do you enjoy it? Uh, that that f essentially five-year period of your life where you're, you're putting this together? Well, I do. And I, you know, I think also we should all try to give back where we can. And one of the things that's happened in the Canadian industry over the last number of years is, you know, we were, we were quite international. We had companies, I, I worked for Nexon, uh, its head office was here. It was a global company. Talisman was very global. Um, you know, we had a number of companies like that. Um, the industry has changed and now Canadian companies have a much bigger focus on Canadian resources. So our big mm -hmm. companies are very focused on producing bitumen from the oil sands. Um, we have some um, mid-tier companies that are more international. But, but we're, I think we're in, in, as Canada, we're often misunderstood and people don't really get the improvements that we've made in our performance. And so I you know, feel like I'm well positioned to help the industry in our country get the message to the world. Like we, we are good at what we do in this country. We put all kinds of effort into making sure that we continuously move the ball forward on the environmental footprint, improving cost structures, doing things well. And, and you know, yesterday I ended up on media as we talk about, um, because Norway was saying that, you know, they're gonna divest um, four of our big oil sands companies because their greenhouse gas emissions are too high. To, mm. to me, that's an oversimplification, um, you know, a reaction to per perceptions as opposed to reality, because I think our companies have done a great job at improving per barrel performance. They have plans, as I said, you know, CNRL, Synovus, for example, both want to be net zero and they're working towards it. And so our companies are actively engaged in trying to improve performance for the benefit of the people of the world. And we need to be able to show that off and, and you do that in a way that allows investment attraction and more jobs, more growth, more taxes, more royalties, all those things. So right. to your question, I love doing this because I think it can make a big difference for our country and for our industry. And I think I'm well positioned, you know, given I've, I've worked in government before, I've worked in lots of different companies, I'm well positioned to help make some of this happen. And, and actually, uh, I wanted to touch on that. I mean, you're, you're a executive fellow at the University of Calgary. And I want to do um, I want to do a quick rundown, you know, as we wrap up the show. Of course, uh, people are li listening to you, but you you do a lot of media. You are trying to you're out there trying to communicate 
to people the, the advances that are made in the industry and that companies are making and promoting the oil sands. Can you just talk a little bit about, um, a lot of times we'll do this at the, close to the beginning of the show, but yeah. <laughs> what, a little bit about your background, um, you know, where you've come from, uh, you know, what, what path your career has taken and, and how you, you know, ended up uh, involved with the University of Calgary and, and so on. Well, I've had an interesting path because about, you know, just over 30 years, I guess, 30, 32, 33 years, but about half of that I've spent with the Alberta government in different roles. And the other half I've spent with both big industry companies and smaller ones. So early on, I spent my first um, 10 years with the Alberta government and I was involved with the Heritage Fund and the Heritage Fund had its interest in Syncrude and it was involved in the Lloydminster Bi-Provincial Upgrader. So I got involved in those projects way back when, um, learned a lot. But then I became the director of oil sands policy for Alberta um, when the National Oil Sands Task Force was trying to spur the development of the industry and I got to help um, develop the generic oil sands royalty system, we called it back in 95, um, that attracted a lot of investment. So, so that was a great role. I moved from the government over to Shell and got to build the first big project with Shell. I was the, the person who did the economic analysis um, for the Athabasca oil sands project and later moved over to Nexon and I got to do essentially the same thing for the Long Lake project on behalf of uh, Nexon. So I got, you know, right from the beginning when we were working with the technologists on, on what would we design into those projects, the, they would have their engineering inputs. I would be the guy who got to run the economics and help in the decision-making process. And eventually, um, uh, you know, after both uh, Nexon and Shell, uh, I moved back to the government as the CEO for the Alberta Petroleum Marketing Commission, which markets Alberta's oil sands royalty barrels or, or oil royalty barrels and was involved in the um, Northwest Upgrader Refinery that I talked about, where I, where I was essentially on the leadership committee, the governance committee for that on behalf of Alberta for five or six years. So I got to see a lot of different things, especially in the oil sands. Um, you know, it's one of those... Uh, Careers where you you know you get to work on many different projects. I, I'm very pleased that many of them got built because a lot of people don't get to see their projects actually come to fruition, um, and they're operating and, and it's it's really created lots of jobs and wealth. And so now I'm hoping as I get to this last part of my career that I can see Fractal's technology become commercial to the benefit of our country and, and deliver a really good Congress. Um, you know that would really be something that uh, we could all we could all get behind. And I'm really hoping to build some momentum for that over the coming coming years. Well, I'm glad. I mean, it's, I'm glad you came on our show. We can we can promote some of the work you're doing. And I, I will say, um, in some industries, uh, we we have a little bit of trouble um, getting people to want to to talk. They um, even though we're not you know standard media, they just you know it's people like their privacy. Um, and we're finding uh, we've had Paul Painter come on and, and start to connect us with people in the energy sector, especially in Alberta, um, you know, connecting us with people like yourself. And there is just an absolute willingness and a hunger to communicate the good things that are coming out of Alberta, the, the support of the, the energy sector and the oil and gas industry. 
it's it's a it is a really good sign how much people do want to come on and communicate and i think that's just a huge step especially for for younger people that are watching the industry maybe you know i think we can get tempted to sort of stay within our circles but i, I mean i'm in vancouver right now uh, which is where some of the protests happen and all that sort of things we need to expand our our network and our and our lines of communication to really to really get support for the stuff that like fractal is doing and the World Petroleum um, Council. And uh, so I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and just really it's like an education to thousands of people that are gonna watch. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity, Jared. And, and you know, I, I do like to engage with folks. Um, you know, if we can better understand facts, you know, we can have a much more uh, fruitful dialogue. And I think to a large part, we're all trying to pull in the same direction. We're all trying to improve performance you know, oil is going to be around for a long time. Let's make sure Canada is a leader in, in what it does and we'll all benefit from it. So I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on, Richard. Okay. Um, thanks for watching. This will be our third show we've produced of Crownsman Energy and um, they're going to be getting released. Of course, it'll be released if you're watching it. And, um, you know, it's, we're going to be covering such a wide range of, of topics in these coming series. We, we spun off from the Crownsman show because we realized that the Crownsman show, we're just, there's so much industry. So we wanted to give a streamline uh, so that people could come on and just learn about energy that are in it. And it's already getting a good response. So please subscribe. We've got YouTube channels and LinkedIn and Facebook and in all the places you can subscribe and follow us. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or message us directly. We want to talk. We want to connect people in the industry. And uh, thank you, Richard, for coming on the show. And we will see everyone on the next episode of Crownsman Energy. Thank you for watching. Please remember to subscribe and follow us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Also, remember to head on over to crownsman.com forward slash donations um, to help support the production of our shows. Again, crownsman.com forward slash donations. There are two donation options, the five buck monthly subscription option and the support heavy industry one-time donation. Again, that's crownsman.com. Thank you so much. And we will see you on the next episode.